Welcome to the creep side. Greetings, friends. Get prepared for tonight's terrifying tale simply titled Mortality, Part 1. Written by Mr. Menthol, performed by Matt Sparks and Mr. Menthol, with special guest appearance by Shiloh Owens. Humans are weird. I am told that I am human, although I don't feel like one. I mean, I breathe, I eat, I feel pain and stuff, but I don't feel human. I can't feel emotions, but I can fake them very well. I can smile at babies and puppies, but normally that falls with the drowning thoughts of stomping them under the heel of my boot. The crunch of their skulls and the squish of their viscerals is just so satisfying. Seriously, try it. Not all of us are as blessed as I am. For you see, I am immortal. I've been shot, stabbed, poisoned, had cancer, etc, etc. I simply just can't die. As long as I can remember, I've been bored with the living population. If you can tell by the above paragraph, I'm a bit of a psychopath. I became one in my late 20s, shortly after the passing of my dear Elizabeth. Elizabeth was my pet lobster. One day, she is in her tank enjoying her slice of cod, and the next day, she is bright red and smothered in garlic butter. Oh, how life just throws you these curveballs. It all started with my wife. Yes, somebody loved me enough to marry me. But this story isn't about her mistakes, it's about my achievements. She was sleeping in bed, a king size we got for a good price at the local discount store. There she was, still sleeping, chest gently going up and down to the arithmetical pattern of her damn snoring that has kept me up for many a night. Shellfish and garlic butter still stained my tongue and I was breathing heavily. The veins in my neck swole, I could hear my heart in my ears, I couldn't stop it, I didn't want to stop it. I jumped on top of her, pinning my wife to our bed. I grabbed a pillow to muffle her screams of terror as I raised the lobster claw high above my head. I couldn't help but to think. I wonder how hard I have to stab to get this through her skull. Not completely confident in the structural integrity of Cook's lobster claw, I removed the pillow. As she tries to let out a scream, I shoved the claw in her mouth. I pushed it as hard as I could and I could feel her jaw break under the immense pressure. Then it couldn't go any further. Still alive, I panicked and punched the claw as hard as I could. The gut-wrenching sound of her bone and flesh squelched and echoed through my ears. In silence. I rolled off her and laid next to her body until I heard it. Daddy? Fuck. Caroline. My daughter. I look across the room to see her in her soft, fuzzy pink pajamas, standing in the doorway. Is mommy okay? She said with a tired concern in her voice. Come on, my darling, time to go to bed. I take her by her hand and walk her to her room. She takes two steps in front of me, then it happens. I pick her up to screams and squeals. I shush her as I wrap my arm around her neck and pulled. The snap indicates that she will tell nobody of what has happened here tonight. Was I angry when I killed my family? No. I was bored. Bored of going to those horrible plays and piano recitals. Bored of dinner parties with the neighbors and their boring stories of their trip to Flagstaff. There's nothing fun about Flagstaff, Karen. Most of all, I was bored of holding back. Since I let loose, life has been a gas. I do what I want, when I want. Now I don't do anything tasteless like rape or pedophilia. Oh, no, no, no. 
My poison is feeling the last beat of the heart in whatever victim I choose, which brings me to my next adventure, my third kill. And to this date, it was my most dangerous and satisfying kill. Detective French. Oh, how I missed the hunt between us. As you can imagine, this was not easy as I had to set my old life on fire to not raise suspicion. Some burns here and a bruise there with a sigh of hysterical crying got me scot-free with any authority figure. That is except for Detective French. He was one of those big city detectives in a small town. Pains my asses. He thought he was so smart, even going as far as to follow me to physical therapy appointments and to the grocery store. Money was his theory. If he would have done his research, he would have known that I was comfortable and had no debt. I didn't need money. I need satisfaction. And now, like with most drugs, I crave more. It was around this time I was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. All this did was push the need to kill to new levels. So I began to stalk. It wasn't hard to do. He drove a mid-2000s Crown Vic, like the fucking copy was. I learned after he is done for the day, he goes straight to a local watering hole to drown his sorrows in a tall glass of regret of not being able to catch me. Afterwards, he drives a home to a modest cottage in a busy residential street. The house is dark until he gets home. He then sits in front of the idiot tube until he eventually goes upstairs and God knows I do not want to think he, what he does up there. I do say he lived alone, probably divorced. Then it happened one night during my stakeout. A woman shows up, blonde hair, skinny, leopard print miniskirt tacky red tube top. The only problem is she never left. I know, I was there all night. The next day, despite no sleep, I decided to step inside of his house after he left for work bright and early. Figured I could send a message with his little lady friend, but oh no, how wrong I was. The house was empty aside from needing an interior designer, it was normal. I ventured upstairs and was pleasantly surprised. There she was, tied upside down with a tub under her, bleeding her dry as one sick fuck to another. This was art. Now I have him. I had to do some prep work. While in the house, I took pictures of the entire house and every room, including his bloody girlfriend. Then I went home, only to be interrupted at my apartment door by none other than the detective French himself. So where have you been all night? He says with a stern attitude. My dear man, I was at the graveside of my beloved, and then I went to chemo. Will you please leave me alone? I said while faking sadness in my voice. I open my door, and the detective stumbles in, obviously drunk, and dropping a service revolver. He stumbles into the bathroom to retch up whatever cheap whiskey and beer that was his dinner tonight. I picked up his gun and set on the kitchen table, then set off to get the drunk flat foot out of my hair. When I opened the door, he passed out on the floor next to my toilet. Now, I could have called his superiors and gotten him into so much trouble, but I decided not to. Instead, I picked him up and set him up sitting at the table with his head firmly down still passed out. While he was in deep drunken sleep, I carefully took all the bullets out of his gun. I then decided to, as carefully as I could, take the lead tip off and pull out the wadding and gunpowder while putting just the tip back in. I then loaded his gun back up and brewed some coffee for the soon-to-be hungover officer. The smell of coffee must have awoken him, since when he looked around, he grabbed his gun and bolted out the door. I watched out the window as he sped away in his standard-issue Crown Vic. My plan was set. I knew the layout. All that was left was lay and wait. That night, I hid in his house in the closet of his art room and waited. My heart was thumping like it was that night. I couldn't help but grin when I heard the car pull up, but my grin quickly faded when I heard the voice of a female. Another victim? Damn, how could I be so stupid? Was there a pattern I wasn't seeing? Was this all at random? 
I cracked the door open to watch as he led his lady friend into what is soon to be her final resting place. A thought washed over me. I didn't know how he does it and get away with it. Would you pass up the opportunity to watch Salvador Dali paint the persistence of memory? No, I didn't think so. I waited. He was suave and charming. He talked the pretty thin blonde into the murder room. Once in there, he does it. Like a viper, he was silent and precise. One thin stab to the throat. He gets the tub and slides it over while tying her feet up to hoist her upside down. While he was occupied, I emerged from the small containment and placed a hand on his shoulder. He jolted around, drawing his weapon and pointed it straight at my head. I raised my hands to show I was of no harm. Now with labored breathing and realization had set in, he couldn't do anything to me lest he wants his own kind to find out his dirty little secret. Well, French, it seems we are kindred spirits, you and I. I said in the most calming voice I could muster. What the fuck are you doing here? French said in a panicked voice. Don't worry, your secret's safe with me. I won't tell your friends and you leave me alone. I slid in a slightly cocky voice. Of course, I never tell him that I planned to kill him as soon as I could. We were the same build, so I wasn't worried about a fight. Now that I know that he himself is an artist, it threw me for a loop. Crazy versus crazy wasn't part of my attack plan, so now I have to outwit him. There ain't gonna be no deal. You have no leverage here. I have the gun and the power, he said through gritted teeth. Also, his power he was after. The blonde hookers, the drinking, he was murdering his wife all over. How could I have not seen this? French, I am leaving. I won't tell. Expect to see me again, you naughty boy. I said while smirking, walking towards the door. That was the sound of the gun not being able to fire the empty bullets as I stroll past him make my way to the free world. A standoff, only one by poor timing. From here, I knew I had to be more prepared, more cautious, and more aware. On the drive home, I stopped by a buy-here-pay-here lot to acquire a new unregistered vehicle. Of course a salesman took my 2018 Toyota SUV with 20,000 miles on it for exchange for a 1996 Ford truck with 200,000 as an even trade. No paperwork required, just a title exchange. Since I couldn't go back to my apartment, I had to get more creative with my hunt. With a front seat full of energy drinks and greasy beef sticks, I wait down the street from my old apartment. It wasn't too long until I fell asleep. Cancer will do that to you. My weekly chemo sessions were catching up to me, and fast. I thought I didn't have long. I had to hurry. I woke up sometime later with the police surrounding my old apartment, a charge led by Detective French. I quickly drove out of there and posted in front of his house yet again. I needed to see if he was still living there or if he had abandoned ship like myself. Then it happened. A blonde, thin beauty knocks on his door. As she walked in the house, I thought to myself, he isn't that dumb, is he? I waited until he went upstairs with his next victim. Once upstairs, I went into his patrol car and checked the locks. Lucky me, it was unlocked. Now the first thing I did was pop the truck open and have a look. Standard cop stuff, shotgun, med bag, road flares, duct tape, trash bags, large axe, and a shovel. Well, standard for him at least. It just occurred to me that I didn't know how he hid his bodies. He must be transporting them. I couldn't follow my loud ass truck. He would have heard me. So I risked it and hid it in his trunk, but first I took the spare tire out and its tools and put them in the bed of my truck. I hid in the spare tire compartment and fell asleep. I woke up with a loud thud and weight laid on top of me. I stayed calm and was alert for the entire four hour drive. When he finally stopped, he opened his trunk and removed the body, but he left the trunk open. Making sure I was very quiet, I peeked my head out and found him using his headlights to light up the hole he was digging. I sneaked up to the front of the car and turned on the dash cam. 
Gently, I wrapped up my legs with my shoelaces to make it look like they were tied up. Reaching in the emergency bag, I pulled out the seatbelt knife and sliced my own forehead. Silently, I stalked behind him and pounced. A struggle happened as I went for the throat all while screaming at the top of my lungs. The sound of a gunshot ringed my ears. This was it. I have been shot. Three rounds point blank in the chest. I fell against a tree and just slid down, defeated. He got real close to my ear to whisper something scary before finishing me off. I didn't give him the opportunity. I took the seatbelt knife and drove it as hard as I could through his chin into his brain. His dead eyes told me that I had won. I grabbed his phone out of his pocket and called the police. While I lay there awaiting death's next adventure. But as, as it seems, death had, let's say, other plans for me. Thank you for listening to Mortality, Part 1. Now, Part 2's release time depends on you. The more you like and share this episode, the quicker the next release will be. Remember, the world has a creep side. I'm just here to show it to you. <laughs>